just a quick warning that we're going to be talking about death, mortality, existentialism, all the usual things. So if you're not in the right headspace for that, maybe just skip these next few episodes. Everyone and welcome to another episode of A Hopeless Endeavor, a Joanna Newsome podcast. I'm Sam. <laughs> I'm Nikki. This is part two of Leaving the City, baby. It sure is. I'm scared of this song. I'm scared we didn't do it justice. I'm scared we're not going to do it justice. I love it. It's apocalyptic. It's death-filled. It's gorgeous, beautiful, dark. And I feel inadequate. So that's just got to get that off my chest from the get go. Yeah, I think especially when we're at the beginning of a new album, this always happens. <laughs> yeah, it does. It <laughs> really does. Usually, I have one on me. I was feeling really comfortable. Transitions are tricky, you know? Yeah. It's hard to start with something new. Thankfully, in this episode, we will have a voice memo from the lovely Jack to help us uh, figure out a little bit of the uh, crazy musicality that's happening. Um, So thank you again for that, Jack. Thank you, Jack. I'm excited to hear. Also, before we dive right in, I just wanted to note that a bunch of you guys were saying that you really love the new beat that we're using um, for the intro and outro. And I just wanted to say real quick that I concur. This is my favorite of David's beats ever. Um, so yeah, if you want to hear this beat plus other beats, check out his SoundCloud, which is linked in the show notes. Thank you so much, David. Where did we end um, off last time? We finished with, I think we did, are we leaving the city? Question mark. Yes, and then we talked a so little too. bit about the horseman, right? Yes, that's exactly what I think we did. I have a bit more to say about the horsemen today. Not a whole lot because it's really confusing, actually. Like the Wikipedia page is like, here's 25 different theories about what this could mean and like yeah. what each horse represents. So it's a lot, but I'll try my best. Yeah, no, um, your best is great. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you, so. Uh, before we start into the next verse, though, I had a just like very quick little theory it might be dumb but I'm just Mm. gonna say it anyways about the first verse that we talked about last time so I was listening to uh like my favorite podcast I think of all time a complete guide to everything which is very silly but uh and it's not actually a complete guide to everything so don't go looking there for information but (laughs) they happened to mention that um they were talking about like ivy on brownstone buildings in new york and how like it looks so beautiful but apparently ivy is actually really really bad for whatever building is underneath it so it's like it like a force of decay so if ivy is crawled up onto your building even though it looks really pretty it's like eating at the material it's like feeding on the materials that you've used to make that building and so mm. if you have ivy on your building you'll have to replace like the building materials within like five years or something and it made me think that maybe uh in that like first image she's painting uh, with hay in a clean stall and ivy on a garden wall and a sign saying sold and an old coat for the bad cold maybe part of that image is supposed to be like look there's this ivy it's like something that's alive but also ivy is this image of decay especially when it's climbing on a wall and it's it like made me think of going back to sort of sapoconic and knee themes Mm -hmm. of like 
what happens when a civilization falls well nature becomes this like dark and almost scary force right like it becomes totally overwhelming it very quickly overruns like whatever humans have tried to do to uh quell it Mm -hmm. and to like control their civilizations nature quickly takes over once it's not being tended to anymore and so I was wondering if maybe this image that we're getting at the beginning of leaving the city is like at least a hint towards like look nature is just waiting for us to not exist anymore for us to fuck up in the biggest way exactly Yeah. yeah yeah and so we talked about last time how like there's ambiguity between whether this image is of them just moving in or of them having lived there and maybe died there and it being sold afterwards. And I think that that the IV given that interpretation adds to that ambiguity maybe. Yeah. I really like that. And I like too that, and I don't think we noticed this last time that it's Ivy specifically on a garden wall. And so the idea that there's like something man-made separating both the Ivy and the garden seems a little bit, I don't know if ironic is the right word, but it seems a little bit wrong in some way. So just like you said, maybe it's just that, that idea of nature reclaiming what is rightfully theirs. I don't know. That's a great word for it. It's like, yeah, nature reclaiming this shit that we've put in the way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it was weird. They were like, I was like, it was a very unexpected place for me to have a little epiphany listening to the complete guide to everything. As you were talking, I was like, I know I listened to the newest episode. Why doesn't my brain... It wasn't the newest one. I was like a couple episodes behind. Okay. I forget what it was, but it was like one of the five newest ones. Um, it wasn't roller skating. Yeah, I love this. I love no. that podcast, Complete Guide to Everything. If ours uh. took that <laughs> format, it would be like if we talked around all of Joanna Newsom, but never actually talked about her. Totally. <laughs> exactly. Which we're like, we're not that far from sometimes, but yes. we try to get to the lyrics eventually. Yeah. But yeah, you guys should check out that podcast if you haven't. It's really fun. Um, yeah. And they were just saying like nature like feeds on death. And I was like, oh mm-hmm. my God, yes. Like nature does feed on death. And I love that that could possibly be a theme because of because of Ivy and all the death that's in this song. I mean, it ties really nicely into some of the themes we've already talked about on this album too. And like especially in terms of like seasons and circles and cycles and layers. Yes, mm. totally. Opposing forces. So we have like the yes. new and the old, the natural, the man-made. Um, like life and death even. Like the fact that that these plants and vegetation feed off of the nutrients that come from dead bodies. Mm-hmm. It's like this, this, those two uh, opposing forces holding everything tight. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's a nice way to start off. I like it. Yay. (laughs) Good. I like strong-ish starts. (sighs) All right. So what do we do next? Do we read the like tiny little verse that is on the black road? Yeah. How about we read that and then we will listen to Jack's voice memo and then we will. Okay. I mean, yeah. Nikki will magically edit this so you don't know why (laughs) this is happening, but then we'll come back and talk about it. Is Jack's voice memo about the Bridal Benz verse or the On the Black Road verse? Oh, you know what? I think it's the next one. I think it's the Bridal Benz. 
Okay. Yeah. So maybe so we, we can, can talk, talk about, about this one first. first. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. And then get to the brighter ones. Okay. Yeah. So she writes on the black road through the gold fields while the fields are plowed towards what we are allowed. Um, okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Next verse. <laughs> We're back to being a little stuck in the muck here. Uh, one thing that confuses me about, not confuses, but like throws a wrench in my theory about the apocalypse horses is that gold is not one of the colors of the apocalypse horses. Mm. And so it's, it's one of the colors that I don't know what to do with. Um, but black corresponds to a black horse in the apocalypse in my mind. But, mm. but maybe this is all not true because gold throws a wrench in it. So I just thought I'd throw that out there. When we were talking about colors last time, I was very loosely trying to think of <clears throat> where else color has been mentioned in her music and not like more esoteric colors. Like there's a lot of pale and there's a lot of like really descriptive language kind of talking around colors. I noticed that sometimes, okay, so this is what I did <laughs> late last night, <laughs> way too late to be doing this. I was like, you know, it's a fun project to avoid like putting two feet entirely into this song but kind of talking around what we're talking about why don't totally. i just look at like all of the colors she's ever mentioned <laughs> so you can see nikki um if i've shared this doc with you yeah yeah um starting on i don't even know what page this is because i don't page number anything five Okay. Um, there's a chart called Colors and Joanna Newsome Songs in no order. <laughs> so. Oh my God. <laughs> Holy shit. She made a chart, you guys. It's a chart. It's very organized. And this is my way of avoiding researching the four horsemen of the apocalypse because I didn't wow. want to do it. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Okay. All right. So my first thought was like, I wonder if the colors in this verse we can tie to baby birch in some way just because black and gold i was like mm, oh yeah black and that's gold. a part of baby birch right and it is mm -hmm. the verses your eyes are green your hair is gold your hair is black your eyes are blue mm -hmm. <sighs> i wanted to tie that in but i don't think that really makes sense so then i was like <laughs> okay where else do we have black and gold in her music so as I scroll through here, we have black in what we have known. We have black in Monkey and Bear, in Only Skin, in Have One On Me, in Baby Birch, in Ribbon Bows, in Leaving the City, obviously. Oh my um, goodness. And that it, that's it. In You are crazy. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm impressed and like astounded. It's okay. I Googled it first and I looked in the Facebook group and I was like, has anyone else done this? <laughs> you should share this on the Facebook group. People I think would appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, it's tricky because one thing that I noticed in her music is that sometimes she kind of talks around. Did I say this already? She talks around like using named colors and she finds like 5,000 different ways to describe how something looks without saying it is brown yes. um, and yeah. sometimes she does the more straightforward it's never it is brown but like right. it's like it's tall tallow colored while idea yes exactly yeah. exactly so 
all of this is to say, you know, there's gold in a few places, which I didn't even want to include at first. I wanted to stick with like the color wheel. Um, mm. But we have gold in Baby Birch. We have gold in Go Long. We have gold in in Waltz of the 101st Lightborn. And we have gold mm. in Make Hay. All of this is to say, this was a fun little side project, but I didn't really <laughs> <laughs> learn anything about, about these colors. And I uh, fully support the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse theory based on research. <laughs> well, thank you for doing this extensive research. I'm particularly interested in the colors that come up in divers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I'm looking at your chart here and gold comes up in make hay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Especially just cause like the songs on divers talk to each other in a way that I'm not uh, sure is happening in the other albums. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Let's keep this in mind maybe, but that's really cool. Sam, you're exceptionally organized and thorough. That's a good, good avoidance tactic. <laughs> I was tactic. I was also hoping that like there would some kind of pattern would emerge where like yeast would be a lot of blues and greens and browns, mm. very like earth-based colors. And that um, once we get into divers, it would be a lot more like pales and grays and I don't know, golds and silvers and stuff like that. And I don't think that's really, that pattern's really there. Okay. Um, but okay. that's what I was hoping. Was I but thank this. you for looking for it though. That's cool. Yeah. That would have been was really fun. cool find. <laughs> Um, one thing that I was wondering about gold specifically through the gold fields Mm. is like, if we're on this, um, if we're thinking about the, you know, opposing forces pulling everything tight as we have on our little list of things to keep, keep in mind throughout this album, I was thinking like, look, there's the contrast of like this nature thing again, like these gold fields, Uh, And then this like black road that just cuts through it again. Mm. And it just brings to mind like the feeling that, do you ever have the feeling like when you're walking somewhere and there's like nature kind of all around you, but there's like some concrete or something like a path for you to walk on or a road. And you're just like, imagine vividly what this place would have looked like before humans came into it. Like it's just a field. There would have been no houses around. It would just be this like vast expanse of nature. Mm -hmm. It gives me that feeling of just like we plopped like in Roller Coaster Tycoon. Like we plopped a black Great road reference. right in the middle. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and we just like, yeah, just disrupted nature and said like, we're here now. And yeah, there's like a ju- juxta- juxtaposition there that I feel throughout that. And I was wondering if the word gold sort of adds to that juxtaposition, um, particularly because later, like in the next verse, she starts talking about what we have to do to make money and like survive in the city especially Mm -hmm. and so I was wondering if gold fields just references the fact that like like gold equaling currency in some sort of way and just sort of bringing to mind that like this is where we make our money it's how we make our literal living Mm -hmm. uh is by plowing these fields Yeah, I really like that uh, Black Road Gold feels. And I think it ties in really well to what you said about the first verse, too. We have that garden wall um, kind of dividing the two natural spaces with something man-made. And here, I'm imagining the same thing, like a a road through fields on either side. And I think that the gold fields... Whether we're referencing, like, I mean, my mind, because I'm from the prairies, automatically goes to wheat or barley or something like that, or canola fields are like crazy 
um, bright yellow. Um, shit, what was I going to say? Uh, through the Goldfields. Oh, that also ties really well into like the themes of capitalism in this song. Yeah. Too. Um, later we have Bleach Our Dollar Leech Our Dollar Dollar From Our Sense. Long you live, the higher the rent. And I think that probably plays into that a little bit too. Totally. I I struggle with the what we are allowed part in this song because it feels like it's really important to understand that part. Mm. And I don't know exactly what to make of it. What are we allowed? Who is doing the allowing? And who's we? Um, Great question. Is it we? (laughs) Is it we as women? We as people? We as like mortals? Uh, Is it God that's doing the allowing? Is it just like the temporality, temporariness of life that is doing the allowing? What is it? Mm -hmm. It's not a capitalized we either, right? No. Mm Mm-mm. Yeah, is it is it we as in the partner and the narrator? The the people who are leaving the city? I like to think of it as the greater we as in yeah. all of us. Like humans. Like humans. Yeah. Okay. Um or maybe even just like living beings. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. What do you take the allowed part to be? I was gonna read I wouldn't need to Because there's a we in the verse before it, too. Are we leaving the city? So is this verse like, okay, we decided to go. Right. This is the literal shape the land is taking as we decide to, um, you know, make this transition from city to country. To help, to help us, maybe? I'll just read what the genius annotations say. Yeah, I love genius for this song. I know I talk Me? shit about it sometimes. I, I know sometimes I'm frustrated by it. But thank you, whoever's writing those annotations. In the grand totally. scheme of things, I do really appreciate it. <laughs> totally. Genius is hit or miss, but for this song, I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. For this album, I think it's pretty good. But, okay, so for this verse, genius says... The contrasts between expectations and reality about living in the countryside, action and inaction, and eventually life and death are expressed through continuous rhythmic and lexical oppositions. The lines make a chromatic contrast, black and gold, and a symbolic one. Together with the fertility visualized by the golden crop field, there is a hint of future uncertainty and sufferings arising from country life itself. So the soil, which is scratched during the plowing, for example. And then somebody else comments, uh, throughout the contrast between the individual struggle and a harsh yet at times beautiful environment is central. The gold versus black sums up how landscape is both dead, deadly yet heavenly. Um, and then that same person comments, the fields are plowed towards freshly turned earth. I hear an early allusion to the grave here, all that we are allowed in the end. So I think this person's theory is that what we are allowed is referring to like the limited set of time that we have here. So what we are allowed is like uh, from birth to death and then like that's it. We are allowed no more experiencing after our death date. That's funny. I'm going to make a totally unrelated connection here and mention the show Alone Again. Um, And something (laughs) in the episode I was watching last night, 
which I thought was really cheesy at the time, but actually plays really well here. Someone had said, as they were leaving the competition, uh, they had said like, the most important thing on your headstone is like not what it says about you, but it's the dash in between the dates. Mm-hmm. So it's what is, what's important is what happens bef- like wh- after you were born and before you die. And that's, that's the important part of living. Um, yeah. And so I, I think I'm going to tie my definition of allowed to that then exactly like what totally what time you are allowed between birth and death and I guess encompassed in that is like all of the choices you can make all of the things you can do all of the transitions that you have all of the movements all of the everything totally I can't help right now but I'm so enmeshed in this little thing so like this little anecdote I'm about to give so Mm -hmm. Um, I've just spent the whole week editing one of my very good friends memoirs that she wrote about her father's stroke and now um, medically assisted death and it was obviously very intense and like there's a lot of grappling and sadness and anger and just hopelessness and uplifting stuff like it's just it's a lot there's like a lot of emotions of course um involved in this memoir but one of the things that she opens her book with is this like little uh, image that stuck with me where she instructs her reader to like draw a horizontal line on a piece of paper where the beginning of the horizontal line signifies your birth the end of the horizontal line signifies your death and then draw a little dot uh uh in the middle of that line somewhere signifying where you are in the course of your life and then she's like are you sure are you sure you're at that point? Because like her dad thought that he was somewhere in the middle, but like actually was really close to the end. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I just thought I would share that just because like a, that's where my head is at. And B, I think that's just like a really poignant image of like, are you sure that you have as much time left as you think you do? Cause you might be allowed quite a bit less. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. The, the phrasing of towards what we are allowed, I think is interesting because it's almost situating what we are allowed then as a physical place that we're like headed towards, but not mm. enmeshed in. Yeah, it is strange in that sense, because as we're talking about all of these big ideas of allowed, um, yeah. it's then hard to like kind of pull it together to something that is more physical um yeah I'm also curious how much sorry did you have no go ahead I thought are you sure Mm -hmm. okay um I'm almost I'm I'm curious here as to how much there is a another sort of binary um theme in this song between like secularism and religion and so when I'm thinking like how do we make sense of the phrase what we are allowed there's like this very secular version which is just like this very grounded in like the laws of nature we are just animals just like all the other animals that has a birth date and a death date and that's it we Mm -hmm. get nothing beyond that and what we are allowed is dictated just by the laws of nature and by the fact that we are these animals so that's the secular interpretation but then there's also this religious interpretation which I bring in partly because of the um, horses of the apocalypse. But then Mm -hmm. she starts talking about like spirits later um, about bowing. Um, So 
there's this other interpretation that might be going on at the same time and holding this song tight of uh, God or whatever religious belief system um, allotting this period of time for us and sort of doing it in a more planned uh, planned way. And so in that interpretation, we're beholden to somebody else's like grand scheme for us. And we're just all little pawns in this like m- master mm-hmm. plan sort of. Um, if that makes sense. It does. And I think what's interesting about both of those approaches is that you as the person who is alive on that little horizontal line, you don't know what it is that you are allowed, like religious or secular or not. Um, You're just guessing. It's a really cool exercise, really, because I think I would probably put myself somewhere in the middle or maybe even closer to the beginning. But the truth is that you have no idea. You have no idea. Yeah, I thought that was such a poignant image that she starts the book with. Yeah. Um, Thank you, Jill, for that. Yeah, thank you, Jill. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then I also like here the sort of, I don't want to say introduction, actually, because we have talked about a garden already, but the uh, alluding to the fields having to be plowed, because I think this song is also about, like, the work that it takes in order to stay alive like it's not easy (laughs) right like you have to work for it and struggle for it at every step along the way whether that work is city work and like having to pay your rent and like make a name for yourself whatever that means or if it's yeah or if it's this literal like plowing the field so that you can eat like this much more physical so it, it it's almost just it's like presenting life in a way where the suffering is wrapped right in. We have a garden because like we need food. There's this ever present need to keep moving and keep working and keep suffering in order to sustain our little existences in within what we are allowed. Sorry, I'm writing down your quote, presenting life as the suffering is wrapped right in. (laughs) That's real nice. Well, and very you. true, right? Like, I love that you said you made the connection between the city and the country, too. Like, it doesn't matter where you are. Shit is hard. And even Shit's if you're not so paying very much rent and you're living in the country, you're just paying your mortgage or whatever, and you have to... Oh, oh my God. It's a squirrel. Sorry. I'm recording outside today. <laughs> <laughs> I live in... You know, I live in a city. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I thought it was a rat coming around the corner, but it's a squirrel. Sam had terror in her eyes just there. <laughs> it scared me. I was like, what? What's off screen? I wasn't ready. Uh, okay. Whatever. Squirrels fine. are terrifying. Squirrels are fine. They can... Mm. It's fine. I just mm. wasn't ready to have to shoo away a rat. Okay. Um. <laughs> yeah. No matter where you live, that it's hard. And you're going to make different choices based on your circumstances. But whether you're, you know, toiling away in an office or... Um, working in a daycare or taking the garbage or, you know, fighting fires. Shit is really difficult. And Shit is so difficult. Overall, it sucks to have to spend the time that you are allowed with so yes. much of that, right? Exactly. And, like, it brings, for me, it brings up these really existential questions that are really yeah. hard to grapple with that I also was, like, thinking about as I was reading Jill's memoir, um, which is, like man, we fight so hard to stay alive. And like, you know, when we hear the news that someone might die, it's like 
gut-wrenching, horrible, mourning, grieving, like we'll do anything that we can to prevent that from happening. But like, what are we so desperately fighting for? Because like, no matter what happens, it's so hard to stay alive, especially in a case where someone like, so in the book, um, uh, her father has a stroke Like in real life. He had a stroke as well Mm -hmm. and became severely disabled because of this. And so life becomes such a struggle. Mm -hmm. It is so hard for him to do basic activities. And yet everyone is like, so very understandably like clinging to like, please stay with us. Mm -hmm. And so like, it brings up for me this existential question of like, Oh my God, we're fighting so hard to hold on to the suffering. Like even though life involves suffering, We're so eager to not let that part go. And I don't know if it's because we're just scared of what happens on the other end or if it's because like the joy of life outweighs the suffering or if it's because like I don't know exactly what it is we cling to, but like the suffering is is an integral part of life. And it's going to happen to all of us. That's Mm -hmm. the thing is that like there's no escaping this. It's just a matter of when, when our loved ones are going to die. Are we going to die first? Uh, are we going to become sick and disabled? It's going to happen to all of us and everybody that we love. And we all know this. And yet do do this life somehow. <laughs> and I think that too, that there's some comfort in that, not knowing what you're allowed then, right? Like even though you yeah. can't place yourself properly on that line, how would your perspective change if you could, right? Like, right. That's right, exactly. an impossible question. But yeah. And it's hard it's hard to know what is better to do, right? Like keeping death in mind all the time Mm -hmm. on the one hand makes you appreciate and like love the little moments that you are afforded, Mm -hmm. um, no matter how mundane they are. That's like another thing this book made me feel is just like, man, we're so lucky when we have mundane lives, when there's no emergency happening, when there's no like being panicked that a loved one is going to die. Being, able to live mundane lives is like such a fucking gift but at the same time mundane lives that's painful like it's painful to just take out the trash every Monday night and to have to do the dishes over and over again like it's I don't know so on the one hand keeping death in mind is like good because it makes you appreciate those little moments but also it keeps you at this like high pitch that is totally unsustainable like you can't live your life always thinking about death can you is that good to do I don't know too many questions it's hard existentialism (laughs) this is what I warned you guys about (laughs) here we are we stepped into the warning (laughs) no I think all of those are really important things to think about and I don't I think that's exactly what what this entire album is talking about right the nullifying defeating negating repeating joy of life question mark question mark yeah yeah totally i agree i think this whole album is around this whole theme and it's it's so uh fun and heavy to grapple with yeah the line activity makes me think of too have you ever had your palm read no so i know there's i don't know what it is anymore which line it is on your hand but there's supposed to be a line on your hand that's your lifeline right yes yeah Um, And I don't know anything about that. One time I had my tea leaves read and this made me feel awful at the time, but now I don't, I can't give it any symbolism because whatever, but I was with a big group of people and I think I was the last one to go because I was pretty nervous about it. I don't like (laughs) knowing that kind of stuff. 
freaks mm-hmm. me out. But the person who was reading my tea leaves sat down, like you drink the tea, you let the leaves sit, whatever. And then she looked at my tea leaves and then she was like, I feel sick. And she left. And I was like, oh, no. And then I don't never came back like was supposed to reschedule like we were supposed to do all of these other things I'm sure a lot of it was out of our hands because I was quite young and I was with a group of other oh very young people but I know I don't like thinking about that so what does that mean for where I am on the line right like (laughs) like this was probably 10 years ago so like I don't know I'm chilling or am I you're still here yeah (laughs) who knows oh Jesus Christ yeah yeah, that's disconcerting for yeah, sure. Not 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 something I like to think about very often for that activity. <laughs> Made me wonder, huh? Huh. Okay. Um Should we continue? Should we do the bridal bends part? Yeah, okay, maybe I'll read the Oh, it's a really long verse. Do we want to go all the way to rent? Let's do it. Let's dive right into it. Ha ha ha. <laughs> okay. I didn't so mean to do that, but yeah. Maybe we can read this verse and then we'll listen to the voice memo together. Yes. That sounds great. And then we'll obviously play it for you guys so you can hear it too because <laughs> Jack is awesome. So she writes and she sings. And this is such a fucking bop, this part. Ugh. Like I think we said we talked last time about like that gif where it's like people listening to only skin and head banging like that's what this is for me 100 percent, incredible yeah (laughs) so she sings the bridle bends in idle hands and slows our canter to a trot we mean to stop in increments but can't commit we post and sit in impotence the harder you hit the deeper the dent We seek our name, we seek our fame, and our credentials, pained in glass, trained to master incidentals, bleach our collar, leech our dollar from our sense. The longer you live, the higher the rent. It's so good. Um, So one thing that I don't think I noticed until staring at these lyrics, like, written down, Mm -hmm. is that I think... I think that the bridal bends part is a continuation of the sentence of while the fields are plowed because in the previous verse she's on the she says on the black road through the gold field through the gold fields while the fields are plowed towards what we are allowed and the while part doesn't really make sense as a sentence unless I think you connect it to the next verse so I think she's saying like while the fields are plowed towards what we are allowed the bridle bends and idle hands and slows your can't like all all of that mm. follows while the fields are plowed i think i like that because when i was looking at these lyrics oops, i was thinking about that proverb uh another squirrel what is going on where are they getting all these apples from <laughs> oh my god okay yeah. um the saying that I had in my mind, I didn't really remember, but when I Googled it, it's like idle hands are the devil's worship or the devil makes work for idle hands. Did you think that too? Yeah, totally. So like, uh, one who is idle will likely come to the devil. So basically like if you're bored, if you're not doing shit, you're more likely to get into something bad. Um, 
The proverb is uh, 1627. Idle hands are the devil's worships. Idle hands are the devil's worship. Idle lips are his mouthpiece. Literally, a worthless man devises mischief, and in his lips there is a scorching fire. So, you know, you're not working. You're not doing. And I, I think we could probably tie that to capitalism, too. Like, you're not doing what you need to do you're not fighting that life-based fight um bad things will happen bad things will come to you totally and so you're saying you like the idea that like it's while the fields are plowed because it's like this juxtaposition of like working with i don't like the juxtaposition of work being done but then also idle hands yeah and i like that because i think it gives us a choice in Uh, you know like we have been talking about all these greater themes of like you have to keep trudging along you have to keep doing whatever you also cannot yeah yeah yeah. um and you can have idle hands but okay if you do it slows our canter to a trot is that referencing like our perception of time is that like stretching out our line yeah, is a canter faster than a trot? Um, let me look yeah, at my definition here. So. Yeah, slows our canter to a trot. Yes. A yes. canter is an easy three-beat gait of a horse that proceeds at a speed somewhere between a trot and a gallop. So okay. trot, canter, gallop. Right. So yeah, I think you're exactly right. That like if our hands are idle, it's yeah, it might be like even a comment on like what going to the country is like there might be more downtime although you might I don't know I don't know if that's true but like either way if you're not working and doing something then time slows to this sort of crawl the horse's reins loosen mm-hmm. and you experience time in a different way that's interesting then because it's like what we were talking about last verse is like look there's suffering and work involved in trying to stay alive and, and like that's hard Mm-hmm. But then also, if you stop working, that shit's hard too. Yeah. <laughs> Time yeah. slows right the fuck down. Like you need a distraction. Yeah, and that is also true. Yeah. I like uh, that so you can't see this because we're obviously just recording, but when Nikki was talking about the bridle bending, you were sitting upright at first as if holding the reins and when you said bridle bends, you kind of relaxed yeah. yourself a little bit. And I think that's an interesting gesture because you know, it just ties in so well to that, that choice there. Um, I also had the wrong, for some reason I thought canter was spelled C-A-N-T-O-R and I was getting so confused because a canter is, uh, someone who leads a choir. Oh. <laughs> and so I was trying to tie in like, okay, okay. How do we get like, <laughs> how do we get like, um, choir involved in this gotcha we don't okay it's just we don't (laughs) so it's our canter to a trot um okay should we pause here and listen to jack's wonderful voice memo yes let's do that i think it's about six minutes long and jack is very charming and super knowledgeable one thing that i really appreciate about your voice memo jack is that um you're playing the piano along with it so we can get a really beautiful and really clear understanding of of exactly what's happening um with these like wild rhyme schemes yay thank you so much jack okay let's play it 
Hello, so I wanted to talk a bit about the musical content of Leaving the City because because I so enjoyed um, Simon's voice note on Does Not Suffice, so I thought I'd have a stab at explaining some of what's going on in a particular section of Leaving the City because I think there's so much going on that I think it's probably rhythmically and in terms of sort of all the intricacies of it, probably the most complex thing that Joanna has sort of written. Um, and there's a lot going on, so I'll try to explain. I probably won't be able to explain it all, but I'll try to explain some of it. So the section, I guess you would call it the chorus section of the song, the, the, the melody that she's singing is basically just four notes, so... So that's D, C, A, G, if you're wondering. So it's like and so basically the main thing rhythmically that's going on is that there's this kind of three against four polyrhythm happening that just kind of cycles around um so you have this phrase where she's going like um what is it the bridal bends in idle hands and slows your canter to a trot and so on um and that sort of cycle that's going on is in a kind of three beat thing because you can think of in kind of like but it's set against like a four four sort of measure as it were so so you have this like um and firstly she's kind of the first she starts off halfway through a measure which is interesting um but it's like, it's like... Um, I don't know if that's clear or not, but there's this kind of... It's sort of pushing against the beat and kind of... It's very cool rhythmically. And then in the, the lyrics as well sort of reflect these um, rhythmic sort of emphases with the kind of rhyme scheme. So she has, there are lots of these kind of internal rhyme schemes, so like the bridle bends in idle hands. Um, you can kind of hear those internal rhymes there. And then this is, and that's kind of mapped onto the polyrhythms, which is very cool. So if you take it as just melody, so I'll kind of play the chords along with it. So, which is just like a descending line of chords, so it goes like... Etc. I can mess, mess it up at the end there, but whatever. Um, so that's very cool. And obviously Joanna is very known for her polyrhythms, like she used them a lot in her sort of earlier work on Milkai Mender and Ys, and then on Have One On Me, she kind of moved away from it, but then on Divers, she sort of comes back to it a bit, especially on this song. This song is very polyrhythmic. And so, uh, yeah, I guess maybe with all that in mind, I will play, I'll sing a little bit of this sort of section of the song, so maybe you can, to kind of illustrate it a bit, and so I'll just sing a bit of it. So it's like, 
The bridle bends in idle hands and slows your canter to a trot. We mean to stop in increments, but can't commit. We post and sit in impotence. The harder you hit, the deeper the dent. We and so on. So. So you can hear the kind of. It's very like. It has a kind of rhythm to it, and it's kind of easy to sing. Like, you kind of, you just go along with it, and you kind of get swept up in the rhythm. But it's very complex, what's going on. Um, and, you know, the rhythm, and the rhythm of the words really sort of propels you forward in a really nice way. And there's also this part of the song, I always think of, um, she did this interview with Larry King, where... And there's a point in that interview where he just reads out a section, it's, it's later on in the song, where it goes like, um... Uh, and I could hardly breathe for seeing all the splintered light that leaf, the fishes fleeing, launched in flight, and staunch daylight, brightly bleeding, bleach the night, with dawn deleting in the eyes. And Larry King just read, like, reads out the lyrics verbatim to her and then says, what does this mean? <laughs> Which is a, per a personal favourite moment from all the Joanna Newsom interviews that are on YouTube. It's just very funny. And, you know, maybe Larry Sh King should listen to this podcast and he can wise up a bit about Joanna's lyrics. Um, um, but I think that's everything I wanted to say Apart from actually that, there's another interview, I can't remember which one, where Joanna says that when she was writing this part of the song, she like wrote out all these charts and had all these symbols to sort of keep track of everything that's going on. And, I'm just, and I actually think someone, someone's recreated some kind of chart that you can find on the internet. Maybe I'll, I'll send a link along with this, with this audio recording. Um, but it's really cool and I really like that diagram. And it illustrates really well, sort of visually, in a way that is kind of hard to explain just by speaking. But it's really cool. Um, but I think that's now everything I wanted to say. Um, so yeah, thank you. Okay, I'm done, sorry, I had to go back. I had to go back and listen to whether he said I was trying to write down all the mentions of movement in the song. So I was, I had to go back and listen a few times if he said ascending or descending melody. He said ascending. Ascending. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Wait, D C A G D C G. Okay. I don't understand music. Um, no. Okay. All right. So Jack, amazing. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Can we gold stars, gold stars, gold stars? Tons of gold like stars. you have a beautiful voice. That you have a piano with you uh, makes it so much easier to understand. I laughed to myself so much when you were like, "This is easy to sing, but is very complicated." Totally. <laughs> like, yes. How does she do that? It is so complicated to hear you talk. About it is this. totally. But like, like okay, I'm not sure if Jack's pronouns are he, uh, he, him. Are they? Let's let's just, I'm gonna assume they're um sorry if they're not but when he started fucking singing while he was playing I lost my mind it like yeah. sounded with the chords in there like it sounded so good Jack uh, yeah you have I, a beautiful voice Jack beautiful voice beautiful piano playing 
like and and also the way he was explaining the uh like rhythm pushing against the beat like i guess in the polyrhythm really made sense to me um so god thank you for that demonstration and i also like lost my mind when he said that he was inspired by simon's voice note on does not suffice just yes 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 guys yeah (laughs) yes guys um any voice memos are so so welcome they don't have to be piano demonstrations but like if they are i'm gonna be stoked as fuck so i love this love it okay some of the things that i really love that you mentioned jack um i feel like this is very intentional on her part i feel like you mentioned a first of all you mentioned maybe this is the most complex thing she's ever written and that blew my mind i was like how do we measure the complexity of something like this it's not going to be me who measures it because i don't ever know what's going on i can sing with it but i don't know what's going on you mentioned a three against four polyrhythm in a cycle um you said a three beat thing set against a four four measure you mentioned that she starts halfway through a measure and that it's pushing against the beat that it's really cool rhythmically you mentioned an ascending melody and All of this, I think, ties so well into some of the greater themes of movement um, in, like, a horizontal way, but also this, like, up and down movement that we've been trying to identify in so much of this album so far. Um, So that the melody is ascending or descending is so, so cool. That this these polyrhythms are happening in a cycle blows my mind. Um... And also that you, I love that you mentioned the Larry King interview. I know we've talked about yeah. that before too, but that is one of my favorite interviews too. Um, you also mentioned that she is like coming back to polyrhythms after not really using them in whom and have one on me. And um, that you get swept up in the rhythm and it kind of propels you forward. I was like, yes, Jack, like this is so cool. So cool. I loved all of that. I especially love too how he pointed out that um, it's like you said this too, Sam, that it, it starts in the middle of a measure because yes. that sort of explains to, for my little feeble mind about music, like why it, at first, when I was first getting to know this song, it was difficult to know when to start singing yes. the bridal bends. Like it, yeah. it, it's surprising kind of, it's not mm-hmm. where you'd expect it to be. Yeah. And I guess like based on Jack's, um, voice memo, that seems to be because it's in the middle of a measure that she starts so that. Yeah that makes sense um and it's really cool i wonder why she does that to just like it's supposed i wonder if it's supposed to be like off-putting or like uh just uh abrupt like unexpected like mm-hmm. oh no oh, all of a sudden we're going yeah um we will also post this visual that i think exists on the internet in general yes. but i'm yeah. sure is in some of the facebook groups or whatever but we'll post it when we post this episode too just so you can see um like jack said visually um what is happening with the end rhymes the primary and secondary internal rhymes the different stress syllables and the consonants um because it's a lot i don't know who made this i don't know if it was jack who made this visual or if this is just one that you found but thank you so much jack no (laughs) jack didn't jack did not make the visual this is the visual from that article that i read last time i forget where it was but it was the author was like okay I need to figure this out for myself and then she got the author got somebody else to make it um but we'll link to that yes thank you so much Jack you are amazing 
I deeply, deeply appreciate that voice memo. That was fucking awesome. Yeah, really fun to listen to. This chart is so cool, but it's like very difficult, I think, to speak too visually. Like, like I don't, it's very hard to communicate what's happening visually with words. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just post it. We'll just post it. There's just a ton of internal rhyme stuff. There's like these repeated consonants, like canter to trot. We mean to mm-hmm. stop. Like lots of just amazing stuff happening. So yeah, we'll just yeah. post that because it's impossible to describe. Yeah, like we were talking about. I think Jack's voice memo just really ties together um, so many of those pulling and pushing themes in this album. Yes. It's happening in the lyrics. It's happening in the rhyme schemes. It's happening with the polyrhythms and the um, melody. It's happening in all of these ways that are not necessarily all at face. you know that you that you notice right away um there's layers man totally and i love the idea here of polyrhythms maybe being part of the metaphor of the pushing and pulling as you Mm -hmm. were saying Sam. like i sort of i sort of love the idea that it's just like these two opposing forces that like come together in ways that really work but also that are like pulling apart and again holding that song tight that's really fucking cool yeah All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to part two of Leaving the City. This is such a fun, intimidating song to talk about. And we hope you'll rejoin rejoin us next week to to do it some more. Uh, All right. We have an email address. A hopeless endeavor at gmail.com. Be like Jack. Be like Simon. Send us your shit to a hopeless endeavor at gmail.com. We have a Patreon you should check out there. You can find some bonus episodes. I uh, and early episode releases. I recorded myself reading poorly the T.S. Eliot poem, The Wasteland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of our bonus episodes right now because I intend to get into a Joanna themed analysis of it. But it's a really hard poem to tackle. So if you want to join us on that adventure, check out the Patreon. Um, uh, 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 what else do we have, Sam? We have a Facebook group, have, A Hopeless Endeavor. Yeah. We have... An Instagram, a hopeless endeavor podcast. Um, you can send, you can send us voice memos there, but they're not going to be as nice quality as if you email them to us. Yeah. Um, just because recording something off of Instagram is kind of a pain, but that's fine. You can do it too. We'll make it work. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for listening to part two of Leaving the City. Thank you guys. Bye bye.